0: Well, hi, everybody. I'm Meg Terrell, senior health and science reporter for CNBC. And I'm joined today by Gurjeet Singh, the CEO and co-founder of Oma Fertility. Gurjeet, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Meg. Good morning.
0: Well, I'm really excited to get to talk with you about your company and the technology behind it. I want to encourage everybody out there watching to submit questions we will try to get them into the conversation real time. That always makes these so much more interesting. Um, But I'll start with some questions of my own. Gurjeet, tell us about why you founded this company, sort of the story behind Oma Fertility.
1: I learned of a friend, uh, somebody in my wife's office who was going through IVF treatments. Their family went through six cycles of treatments, didn't succeed. They paid about $45,000 per treatment and had to file for a bankruptcy. It completely destroyed their life. Mm. Uh, And very coincidentally, my now co-founder, Sahil, was visiting us as a family friend. He's a physician himself. And he had built a chain of IVF clinics in India, where at the time they did 6,000 IVF cycles a year. So I was venting at him about the situation with my wife's colleague, and he said, come visit an IVF clinic. Uh, And so that's how I got to learn about IVF. And the first time I saw an IVF clinic, I was just completely amazed by how low-tech it was. My Mm. expectation was that if somebody pays $45,000 for a medical treatment, that there would be some science fiction going on behind the scenes. Uh, So that was the impetus for us to start Oma Fertility.
0: And so what's different about Oma Fertility? I mean, you have a background in AI, right? Tell us about what you brought to this and and what problem the company is trying to solve and
1: how? Yeah. So when you think about the fertility journey from the scientific perspective, it, uh, it's all about selecting the right cells, you know, making the right calls. And today, when an embryologist creates embryos, uh, you know, they use their vision and their manual manipulation to basically create embryos out of gametes, egg cells and sperm cells. And so what we learned was that there is a huge variation in the success rates between clinics. So there are clinics that achieve uh, about a 20% rate of success for a less than 35-year-old. And there are clinics that are able to achieve an 80% rate of success for a less than 35-year-old. And so that delta, that gap, is what we believe we can fix with machine learning and AI. Hmm. And so that's our ambition at as, as the company.
0: And tell us what the AI is actually doing
1: so our first product, Oma Sperm Insight, uses machine learning and AI to help an embryologist select the best individual sperm cell to fertilize each egg with. And this is really a massive problem because in a typical IVF cycle, you know, you, you have about hundred million sperm cells. And typically an embryologist has to select one of those hundred million sperm cells for each egg that they're going to fertilize. So really that selection of sperm cells is, re- is really difficult And typically out of that hundred million sperm cells, only 4% are considered to be normal according to the WHO classification for sperm cells. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes this a challenging problem.
0: And so the AI is basically, I mean, this makes a lot of sense because the way we've been talking about, you know, AI being applied in medicine has always been in like the earliest stages of imaging. So you hear about uh, pathologists using AI for things like dermatology and like is, you know, AI to figure out if a mole is cancerous or things like that. So it sounds like this is using AI in another visual way to better select healthy sperm, like the best performing sperm.
1: That's exactly correct. It basically pairs the best of what a machine learning algorithm can do with the best embryologists.
0: I see. So So tell us about the data that support, like, do you have data showing that this actually leads to better outcomes in terms of success rates?
1: We do have data that shows better outcomes. It's still under, it's under embargo. It's under publication. So I can't share the exact numbers, but, but the results are astoundingly good.
0: Oh, Okay, well, I look forward to seeing them. <laughs> um, tell us also about the business model of the company, because in addition to you know inventing this technology and applying it, you actually have IVF clinics. Tell yes. us about why that's the business model and how you decided to do that.
1: So, you know, when we started the company, we started talking to people who had gone through the IVF journey, similar to the, the person I was talking about earlier uh, who had gone through multiple treatments. And what we learned was that even people who had been successful with IVF did not feel satisfied with the treatment. They felt like they were treated like a number. You know, it it oftentimes felt like a disempowering uh, and very isolating journey. And so we realized that, you know, if you're going to fix the fertility industry from the grounds up, we actually have to offer services to the end consumer. So we basically want to get our customers successful in as few cycles as possible. We want to provide human-centered care um, and we want to make IVF accessible to every family who needs access to it.
0: Hmm. And I was intrigued by this idea that you, you were building these clinics and deploying your own technology within them. Um, I was talking with David Sable, who's this amazing IVF expert, a doctor, an investor, you know. and I was like, why wouldn't like the big IVF clinics be employing these kinds of technologies themselves? And he was like, well, they're so busy. And they're making a ton of money the way things yeah. are and so he's kind of pointing out there's like this dual track of like the companies that are just kind of yeah. going along and then these new companies like you guys that are really building new ways of doing things but like why won't the big companies like, why wouldn't you be able to sell your technology into a big practice
1: we will be able to and i think eventually technologies like ours will be used pervasively across the whole IVF industry and landscape Uh, So I I think that future will come. But again, I think similar to what David is saying, I I think one sort of pervasive problem in healthcare also tends to be incentives. So as an example, if a clinic does call it, you know, a hundred cycles a year uh, and our technology makes it such that they can achieve the same success rate by doing fewer cycles a year, then they basically lose money by adopting our technology. Hmm. So there's always this incentive problem in healthcare uh, that only gets solved once somebody has definitive proof uh, that consumers overwhelmingly prefer better outcomes.
0: Mm-hmm. What has the funding environment been like for you guys in terms of being able to raise money, um, you know, attracting venture capital or other forms of you know, financers to this industry? What, what has that been like for you?
1: It's actually been pretty great. We have amazing investors in Jazz Ventures and Root Ventures uh, who have funded our sort of on the equity side. And then Silicon Valley Bank, who has helped us on the debt side of the company. Um, overall, you know, the combination of the deep technology that we are building, as well as healthcare services, uh, has generally been super attractive to venture capitalists. And in general, from a VC perspective, you know, they uh, essentially want to get to a great outcome at the end of the day, and typically, you get there by disrupting an, an entire industry, which is sort of what we are after.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell us about how you make this affordable for people. I mean, is it is it affordable for people the way that you do it? Can you kind of break that cycle of like people facing personal bankruptcy because they want to try to have a baby?
1: Absolutely. So we, as I mentioned, when we started the company, we ran into this couple who, you know, spent $45,000 a cycle. When you look at the pricing in the market, an average IVF cycle costs about $25,000. At an OMA clinic by comparison, an average IVF cycle only costs $9,000. Mm-hmm. So it is dramatically more accessible, almost a third of, our, of the market average. Uh, and honestly, we've been able to make it accessible due to the use of our technology. Hmm. That's just... interesting.
0: So the technology actually brings helps bring the cost down. Is it just the sperm selection AI or are there other technologies that are helping you bring costs lower?
1: There are also other technologies, we have not announced them yet. Uh, but over this coming year, we are going to announce a whole slew of technologies uh, that we are using in our clinics.
0: I see. So you're already using them, but you haven't announced them.
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> actually, part of the you know part of the benefit of running our own clinics is also that we we get to test new technologies right before we deploy them, and all of our devices are safe in the sense they never touch a human being, so there is sort of no risk of uh, no risk to any patient or any operator at any point. Uh, and so running these clinics allows us to sort of deploy technologies much faster and fine tune them before mm. we actually announce and and provide uh, prove efficacy
0: yeah that's one of the things david mentioned as well it's just that there you know there's so many ivf procedures going on but data aren't being collected from each of those to make ivf smarter going forward so is that something that your clinics can do each time I mean, we think about ai getting smarter yeah. and smarter whatever you feed into it so yeah. is yours getting smarter and smarter as you go
1: along? Yes, absolutely. So we, you know, for example, when we started the company, uh, ideally we, we were hoping that somebody would have collected data about sperm cells that we could use for our machine learning systems. But it turns out exactly as David said, nobody has the data. They don't just, they don't collect it systematically. And mm-hmm. by comparison at OMA, we collect data from every, every little resource that we have. We collect data about how sperm cells look, how fertilizations happen, how embryos are dividing the morphoconnecting cell embryos. We collect all of this data by default. Uh, and so that's really, really, um, really powerful uh, as a company.
0: One of the things I understand about you know, the way, as it's been described, you, you, the old-fashioned way that's done at most places, So you're actually looking at sperm to try to choose the ones that are physically uh, appearing to be the most yeah. robust. Um, and it sounds like you have a better way of looking visually at those sperm to choose the best ones, but is still, are there still better ways probably to assess which sperm are going to be the best? Because what you really care about is what's inside, right? The DNA right. and the chromosome, all that stuff. That's right. sure That's right. good.
1: So as an example, we have also now, since our devices are being used in our clinics, we have also now started collecting data about which individual sperm cells led to a live birth. So as opposed to our current system, which was trained by human embryologists tagging individual sperm cells, tens of millions of them, uh, we are now collecting data about this sperm cell led to a live birth. So over the, call it next year or so, as we continue to collect this data, I expect that our sperm system, sperm insight system, will outperform any human embryologist.
0: Hmm. And are those some of the studies that you're running and we'll get to see those published? That's correct. Well, that'll be very exciting. Um, I guess we just have a few minutes left. But um, what are some of the the future applications of AI and IVF that you might consider?
1: So, from our perspective, you know, we are focused on essentially two main areas uh, using machine learning and AI. The first is robotics to automate the embryology lab. That's kind of the uh, the vast majority of our work today. The second big area that we are focused on is on the clinical side. We also want to, we have, we have started collecting data about stimulation protocols, uh, dosage timing, so that we can provide our physicians the best sort of assistant to at least help them plan treatments for, uh, for our families.
0: And one of the other things I think people run into a lot of times, you know, is whether insurance covers uh, fertility benefits like IVF. What are you seeing in terms of that in in the landscape, and is it any different for your company which provides these additional technologies, or would you be covered the same way any other IVF would be covered?
1: So we are covered exactly the same way any IVF treatment is covered, and we do not charge extra for any of our technologies.
0: Mm -hmm. And what is the insurance, like, is this getting better? Are more employers and insurance plans providing better coverage for IVF?
1: So, overall, only 18% of the people in the US have either benefits or insurance coverage. And that number has relatively stayed stable. It hasn't really changed dramatically one way or another. Uh, I do think that the future does portend more sort of coverage for more coverage in the infertility, both from insurers as well as from benefits providers.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things you mentioned just before we went live was the accessibility of IVF and how really right now it's concentrated on the coasts. Uh, And it's not really something that maybe everybody across the country can access. What, What are you guys doing about that?
1: So, you know, that's sort of part of the big reason why we are trying to automate embryology is because, you know, it's not that there aren't physicians across the U.S. today. There are physicians across the U.S., but to set up an embryology lab and to operate it and run it is is really time-consuming, capital-consuming as well. And so from our perspective, we are trying to automate this part of the process so that you know it becomes much cheaper to set up a lab anywhere and to operate it. Hmm. So that's kind How- of the main idea behind the robotics. Sorry? That's the main idea behind the robotics.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I guess in sort of my last question for you in the last amount of time we have, What do you see as where this industry is going and maybe in some ways where you guys are pushing this industry or taking this industry? What does the optimal, you know, IVF um, experience look like for people and how long is it going to take us to get there?
1: So let me give you some numbers. Uh, You know, in the U.S., about 90,000 births a year happen via IVF. And that basically represents about 2.1% of all births in the U.S. Hmm. Now, if you compare that number 2.1% to other developed countries like Israel, Denmark, Japan, that number in those countries is between six and ten percent. Really? Even today. So any way you cut it, the US market is dramatically underserved. Mm-hmm. You know, we should be seeing about half a million births a year via IVF.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, add to this, there are entire countries that don't have any embryologists. So fertility as an industry is just not even at the beginning of the beginning. We are literally in the infancy, uh, pun intended, I guess.
0: (laughs) Well, if you're in the infancy, you're at least farther along than the embryology or the embryo stage. (laughs) (laughs) of where IVF is. Um, Well, it sounds like you guys are doing a lot to really change this industry, and it'll be really fun to continue to follow your progress and to see those data, which you say are under embargo now as they come out. Gurjeet Singh, thanks so much for being with us.
1: Thanks so much. This podcast is
0: supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery,